Right. Um, so this morning, I want to talk to us about um, prayer as vocation. Prayer as vocation. We're doing something we're calling, we call it Live, Love, Give, Go. Um, and we talk about living a life of prayer. Uh, and so I want to speak about prayer as a vocation. Um, a vocation, um, in terms of theology, uh, is a, it's a divine call to serve God. Uh, and in the world that we live in, we, we think about vocation in terms of what people do, and it has kind of different levels. So level kind of number one is, is just your job as your vocation. Level number sort of two is some people have what we more call vocational careers. So as I look around the room, I can see teachers and doctors, um, and um, no offense to, to lawyers, but you know, we do have a sense, we have a, we have a hierarchy of, of, of what is a vocational career, and then we have a kind of sense of, the, you know, then, and then at the top of the hierarchy are James and Wayne, who, you know, have, have taken holy orders, and so therefore, you know, have entered into a vocation. But that was actually to miss the trick of the divine design, which is that we are all vocational beings. We are all called and invited by God to create and to bring beauty and to bring order. And so, and part, of, so part of what it is to be human is to be vocational. Um, if you have a family, that is your vocation. If you have a neighbor, they are your vocation. Um, a vocation is something that we are all invited into. Now, when we talk about a life of prayer, it is very tempting to fall into the trap um, and to think that prayer is about me and God and my relationship with God and kind of how I might navigate the world and how I might be feeling about how I navigate the world and then maybe about the, the things and the people um, who concern me. And I think the reason we've fallen into that trap is um, in the West, uh, we, we, we've created a culture that is very therapeutic at its core. Um, so if you want to, uh, it, uh, the way to read it would be to go Rousseau, Freud, Reef, Taylor, Come and find me later on, and I'll tell you about those philosophers. But basically, we've turned inward. And in turning inward, um, we find our sense of self and our sense of worth for kind of our feelings and how we are. And so actually, I've probably been guilty of this. When we talk about prayer as, as followers of Jesus, we often talk in those kind of inward terms. Um, but actually, prayer is about stepping into who God is and what God is doing in, in the world and his truth in the world. And again, in the West, we might find that slightly problematic because truth is something we're not sure about anymore because we're all postmodern. And because, um, and looking around, I can see, you know, we're a load of us different cultural backgrounds if we go back just a few months, but literally if we go back a number of years and generations. And because of that, truth has become a relative thing. And so we find it hard to step into prayer as vocation when God's truth is spoken to us because we know that there are people who disagree with us. Just want to hold that up. So, so prayer is a vocation, but our, problem, our problems are that we've turned inward and we want it to kind of make us feel better and, and we've become relative and we're not so sure about truth. We're going to revisit 1 Samuel chapter 3 and we're going to look at some things that come out of that about how we can step into prayer as a vocation. And James, I think you can find it. It's going to come up on the screen. And I, without my glasses... <laughs> I'm going to read it. I can't work out which this is. I'm going to go with this one. Right. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, reading from verse 1. So the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord. So that was the lamp that they lit throughout the night where the ark was, so where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. 
And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Just pause quickly. Go back one. Remember we were talking about chat and catch? See, ears tingle. See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Thank you, James. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. This is the word of the Lord. So, a um, couple of things. So I think there's two. If you want to step in, if prayer is to become um, a vocation in your life and in my life, there's two things uh, we need to do. Um, firstly, the first one is we need to press reset. We need to, in, press, in prayer, and in daily prayer especially, and when we gather, we're pressing reset as to who we serve. Um, I was in, so the, Lord, the, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Um, a more that's verse 1. A more correct translation is it says that Samuel ministered in the presence of Eli. And what's happened in the culture of the day, and we've, ju- we've come out of the time of the book of Judges, is that we are living in a culture that plays at God, but has actually forgotten God and is not, does not listen to him. If you read the book of Judges time and again, uh, they have, things have to go incredibly wrong for the people of Israel to cry out for God, and then he raises up a judge. And then as soon as he fixes the problem, they forget and they start putting up all their idols to all the other gods. And, and this is the culture that Samuel um, is in at this time, a culture that, that, that looks all right, but actually that is not really under God. And Samuel is ministering under Eli, who is a man who um, the text in all of it tells us about him has forgotten what it looks like to hear from God and to truly follow God. He's a guy who's going through um, the motions of his job. And our culture is a culture um, that has forgotten God. 
Our culture is a culture that, that has all of these values, but doesn't quite remember where they came from or how they hang together, and then has competing values. And we find ourselves um, under that culture all the time. I wonder um, how often we find ourselves, you know, what others might think or what our culture might think as our first port of call. And, and there's this opportunity when we pray to press reset to say, actually, we serve under Jesus, not under the Eli's of this world. We serve under Jesus. And if I was going to, um, I am, if I was going to critique the church that I'm part of, um, I think the church that I'm part of fears culture. And it fears um, everybody out there. And so, and, and almost is kind of ministers under the world outside, almost before God. The last two years, I think, have heightened that um, for the church in this country. Um, it is a church that kind of wants to be liked and wants to be kind of tolerated by culture before it wants to serve under Jesus. And prayer, daily prayer, uh, is how we press reset um, again and again and again to remind ourselves that we belong to him, uh, that we are Jesus' people and that we serve under him and not under the Eli's of our world. It's good to press reset at the start of the day. It's good to press reset throughout the day, and it's really good to press reset at the end of the day. Do you have a habit of pressing reset? of reminding yourself who God is, who Jesus is, and who you are in him. What Wendy referred to the other day was she had a day where she said she was listing all these things. She had all these things that had kind of slightly gone wrong, and they were from, in my life, they're the kind of stuff that she'll, Wendy will kind of tell me all the things that have gone wrong in her life, and it seems like there's a key in the wrong place. Like, what? Somebody's put a short fork in the drawer where the long forks belong. But all of those things had added up, and some big stuff. Um, and then something happened to remind her to press reset, that actually she belonged to Jesus, uh, and that all of these things that were just churning over didn't matter. They were small and trite, but there were some big things too. So the first thing we need to do if we're going to step into prayer as vocation is we press reset. We remind ourselves that God has given us a job uh, and is inviting us to partner with him and what he's doing. The second thing we do is we tune in. The ears are gone. Um, but when we pray, we hear the voice of God. Uh, the text tells us that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now, this is not because God is silent. This is because nobody was listening. Um, the, this book here, all the way through, and the history of the church tells us that actually God is anything but silent. Um, anything but silent, that God speaks and God acts and God calls. And the question is, is anybody listening? There was a guy, a revivalist in the early 20th century called Smith Wigglesworth, and he said this about a church meeting. He said, if God is not moving in the meeting, I will move God. And everybody went, what did you mean by that? And he said, I will, I will basically always make sure that I'm the person with the big ears on. Because God always wants to move. He always wants to speak. The question is, are our big ears on? Is anyone tuning in? And Eli, um, you think, might think I'm being a little bit down on him, but if we were working our way through Samuel, you'll see in the early chapters of Eli, is Eli is a man who does anything but tune in. And the writer of Samuel tells us this again and again. 
Um, Samuel sleeps where the ark is. Eli, we saw it in the video, sleeps in his own comfortable bed in his own room. Eli's eyes are failing. That's a, the text is telling us that he doesn't see things anymore. And um, later on when we learn of the death of Eli, he sat down at a time that he shouldn't be sat down. Eli is just a really good example of somebody who is basically um, not listening, doesn't want to listen, and just wants to go through the motions. Samuel, he's too occupied with himself and his own life and his sons. Um, he's, he's almost matter of fact um, when he hears again, again, the judgment of the Lord on his family. Samuel sleeps where the ark is. Samuel is where the light of the Lord is. So he will hear. Back to that therapeutic um, culture that we live in, is if we spend our lives turning inward and listening to our voice and what we want, we might miss his voice. Anybody ever heard of the word inspired? Nobody? Okay, well, inspired is a word that we use when suddenly something happens and we go, oh, wow, that's a really good idea. Uh, but it comes in its original Greece. It means it, come, it comes from outside. It comes from beyond us. It's not, so we sense it inside, but we have a sense that this inspiration comes from somewhere else. It's given in to us. So we tune in to the small voice of the Lord. And it's small not because he's small, but because he's inviting us to come close. He's inviting us to come close. I wonder how many of us are like me when I go home. Right, if you're a middle-aged person, when you go home, if, you've, uh, if your parents are still alive, how many of you revert to being about 15? There's a few nods. What happens in my house is I, I'm selectively deaf. <laughs> uh, I've realized that I, I, there's, a certain, there's a certain pitch of a female voice that I've just basically tuned out. Uh, <laughs> my wife worked this out when she first came to visit. She said, do you know your mother speaks to you quite a lot? And I was like, oh, what does she talk about? <laughs> Uh, and, uh, um, and it's just that kind of sense of like how household of four boys, mum would say, can you do this, can you do that, can you tidy this up? And basically, you just, we just all learn to tune her out. We do love her. Oh, thank, thank you. She's, she's lovely, my mother. Uh, now I'm doing the Irish accent. Um, but the sense that actually I can be in that space and I can just tune out the voice of my mother. Uh, um, how many of us have learned possibly to tune out the voice of God? Because actually... Sometimes when he speaks to us, he, it's a bit uncomfortable because he's asking us to do something or he's challenging us about something as much. You know, he loves us, but he does challenge us. And he says, you need to um, unpack your school bag. And we're like, I didn't hear that. Are we too busy trying to listen in? And have we tuned out? The people who step into prayer as vocation are people who press reset. They serve under Jesus and they tune in. God, what are you saying? But Jesus crucially is the key thing because we press reset only because of him. So I'm not telling you that you must do some stuff in order to get stuff. I'm telling you that because of who Jesus is and what he's done, that we are able to press reset. We are able to tune in. And we were not under Jesus. We were under sin. That's what the Bible says. We were under the curse of sin. And as such, we're unable in our sin to hear God. It's a grace of God that he speaks to us. Jesus comes to us, if you remember from the actions in the first part, and he puts himself, even though he doesn't deserve to, under sin. And at the cross, the one who always heard his heavenly father says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He puts himself in the place of silence so that we don't have to be. He puts himself under sin 
so that we don't have to be. And when we say yes to Jesus, he restores us to our relationship with God and to the divine vocation of making the world a better place and to hearing his words. So we press reset and we tune in because we can do that now that Jesus has won us. And then the people who have met him and have given their lives to him in a pressing reset and tuning in can speak out. We can speak out. And God speaks to us not just to make us feel better, but so that our world can find him. And Samuel fears Eli, he doesn't want to, you know, in the morning, he doesn't want to share the bad news. And, but, but even Eli, a man who is tuned to not hearing God, knows that he needs to hear what God has got to say. And it's not new news. If you go back, verse chapter 2 has the prophecies against the house of Eli. And, and our world needs to hear, um, it, it, needs to hear, it needs to hear God loves, about, all about God's love, but it also needs to hear about our sin. It needs to hear the judgment that, is, that we are all under so that we get just how big God's grace and how love and, and amazing his love is and, and what Jesus has done for us. And um, people, we need to hear from one another what we sense in prayer when we pray for one another. God uses us. This is the vocation to speak his truth into one another's lives. It's something we probably all slightly struggle to do because it's England and everybody slightly struggles to talk to one another. Um, and, and, and in the bit of Ireland I grew up in, that's the same too. But actually, God wants us to speak out, wants us to speak words of love, to speak words of challenge, wants us to do it as family, and then wants us to speak his truth to the world. Have a stop and just close your eyes for a second. If you're here this morning and you, you know and you love Jesus, think about how you came to faith. And think about the people who spoke to you. When they spoke to you, they were speaking God's truth. Back to what I said about the, about the problem about living in post-modernity is, 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 is there aren't many truths, friends. There's, there's, there's one truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And part of knowing him and serving onto him is to realize that we don't live in a world of competing truths. We live in a world of the truth. And the Lord of truth wants people to discover him and who he is. And he's given us a vocation to share that. And that vocation flows out of having been saved by him and our prayer life with him. So that we don't go, because actually if you start with speaking out, you will definitely be a clanging cymbal and a loud gong and all that kind of thing. But if you flow from knowing there's nothing better, there's nothing special about you, you just happen to know that Jesus has saved you. And you've pressed reset and you've tuned in. And now you want other people to hear the same. I'm coming into land. The danger for all of us, is that we become more like Eli than Samuel. Um, we, we get into a life in which we, we do the motions. Um, quite often, um, in my job, when you end up talking to people in relationships that are beginning to go south, going south, by the way, is a phrase for not going well, as opposed to going somewhere nice, <laughs> um, uh, you'll find that there's been a lot of going through the motions happening. 
and, and the danger for all of us, in, you know, and, and actually you sometimes find like if you manage anybody at work and you've got a difficult line management conversation, you'll find that there's been an element of going through the motions happening. And it can happen in our faith. And we become like Eli and we sleep in our comfy beds and we sit in our chairs and we let our, our, we let our eyes sight dim. But the Lord wants us to be Samuel, wants us to, to be where he is and to hear his voice. Prayer changes us, but it also changes the world. Um, prayer releases us and, and pushes us deeper into the relationship with God that we were made for, but it also pushes us out into the world in our vocation to tell the world about the God of love and the God of the rescue of the cross and the God of the kingdom that is here and is coming. So when we say live a life of prayer, it's not just about how I feel, but it's about stepping into what God is doing in the world, his kingdom, and the role that you have in it. Amen? Amen. Amen.